Good morning, ladies. We're excited to be here um, to share with you what the Lord has taught us as we have studied. I am Cindy Kipline. And I'm Diane Brotman. So let's just dive right in. So get your text. We're going to start with that first verse in um, 1 Corinthians 1, 18. That's where we're starting today. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are preaching, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So what is the word of the cross? If we look at just word, the word, according to John 1, 1 to 4 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So when we read that, who is that speaking of? We understand that to be Jesus, right. <clears throat> so the word of the cross then is Jesus and him crucified on the cross for our salvation. Then, this just dies. Batteries, batteries. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Keep going? Okay. Then it says, <clears throat> is folly. So what is folly? According to Webster's Dictionary, it's a lack of good judgment. Who is the word of the cross folly to? It's folly to, the, to those who are perishing. Why is the word of the cross folly to those who are perishing? Well, at this time in Corinth, according to the ESV Study Bible, the cross as a method of execution was considered so crude that it wasn't even mentioned in polite company. A quote from Charles Swindoll says, To those who had not received the forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ's debt-canceling death, the cross was pure folly. The notion that one perfect man could die in place of innumerable sinners, and that this sacrifice was sufficient payment applied freely to all who believed was about as bizarre a message as anybody in the first century would have heard. Swindoll also says, the word Paul uses for folly or foolishness here is, I don't know the Greek or Latin, whatever this is, moria, related to morose, from which we get our English word moron. For the world, from the world's perspective, only a moron would believe the message of the cross and live a life of self-sacrifice in light of the cross. That's the end of Swindoll's quote. The end of verse 18 in our text says, the message of the cross to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So when I looked at this, I thought, what is the power of God? According to the Daily Bread resources, the power of God is demonstrated by his ability to accomplish his will in every situation through any means he chooses in order to glorify himself. End of quote. Can you say that one? Sure. I think it's good too. <laughs> <laughs> the power of God is demonstrated by his ability to accomplish his will in every situation through any means he chooses in order to glorify himself, end quote. And the way he chose to glorify himself was he chose to glorify himself by destroying human wisdom and giving us the plan of salvation, i.e. Jesus. 
When man elevates his own wisdom or rationale, we disregard God's wisdom. And without the work of the Holy Spirit, which gives us the spiritual comprehension, the natural man denies the message of the cross. Only God would choose to use something considered so despicable and have it be his wisdom in providing our salvation. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 tells us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's wisdom is so different from ours, isn't it? Quoted in our text is also verse 14 of Isaiah 29, which says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Uh, in the words of James MacArthur, quote, that God would take human form, be crucified, and raised in order to provide for man's forgiveness of sin and entrance into heaven is an idea far too simple, foolish, and humble for the natural man to accept. That one man, even the Son of God, could die on a piece of wood on a nondescript hill in a nondescript part of the world and thereby determine the destiny of every person who has ever lived seems stupid. And that's his word, I'm sorry. Stupid. Unquote. I wouldn't say stupid. I would say ridiculous. It does sound ridiculous. People may say it sounds ridiculous, but when we have heard, when have we heard of any human wisdom that has told us the way to eternal life? So, in all that wisdom, have we ever heard how to get to heaven? No. It may seem wise, but has any of us? Has any of that brought us to salvation, eternal life, or even peace with our fellow man? No. God's wisdom is so different from the wisdom of the world, both then and now. Back to our text in verses 20 and 21, it poses to us questions. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? These are those who, according to the world standards, are wise. We as a society may think that we have progressed so far over the years in our intelligence, but let's think about that. Let's think about a decision in history that may have seemed wise at the time to the people of Germany, but we know was not wise at all, i.e. the Holocaust. And it's not hard to think about issues today that are prevalent in our world that we may think for a moment sounds right, but we know is not wise at all. So have we in our culture really progressed in our wisdom? And then our text says, Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? God in his wisdom made it such that the world through wisdom does not know God. We do not learn to know him through the world's wisdom and philosophies. Verse 21 says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And what do we preach that saves those who believe? 
we preach Christ crucified. According to verse 22, for Jews demanded signs and Greeks seek wisdom. According to the ESV study Bible, Jesus' hostile Jewish opponents had kept demanding him of more miraculous signs to prove his claims. But they were doing that just to manipulate him. For the signs he had already given were sufficient to leave them without excuse for their unbelief. Greeks were viewed in antiquity, in contrast to barbarians, as a cultured people and therefore interested in wisdom. Mm -hmm. So a crucified Messiah was offensive to an unbelieving Jew and nonsensical to an unbelieving Greek. End of the ESV study Bible quote. David Pryor says, whereas Jews want signs, the Greeks constantly desire wisdom. But until they give up their reliance on their own insight and understanding, they will never be able to receive the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. For the Son of God to be born in human form, then grow up into manhood, virtually unrecognized, to go about doing good and healing all kinds of sickness, to surrender his life into the hands of unscrupulous men, to die the death of crucifixion as a common criminal, all this defies human wisdom and understanding. But God is not proud. He stoops to conquer. He would have us even though we have shown that we prefer everything else to him and come to him because there is nothing better now to be had. End of David Pryor quote. The Jews were looking for signs. We see that in people's responses as Jesus ministered to the people for three years. Many followed him to see signs and wonders as opposed to loving and desiring just to follow him. In Matthew 16, verses 24 to 25, he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the hard word of the cross, isn't it? That's not signs and wonders. And it makes me wonder, for us today, are we, like the Jews, looking for signs and wonders as opposed to being willing to follow Christ, pick up our cross, <clears throat> and join him in his sufferings. When praying without evidence of God's hand at work, I have to confess, I, I weary in my praying. My faith begins to falter. I plead for just, 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 just show me a little sign, God. Show me a little sign that you're still doing something here. And yet, I know he's always at work. I know he'll always do what's best for my good and his glory. And what do I do? I still ask for a sign. And sometimes in his sweet mercy, he gives me one. And as for taking up our cross and the sufferings, 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Swindoll states, so Jesus meant if you want to follow my path and if you want to be a genuine disciple of mine, you must be willing every day to put to death your stubborn will and personal desires. And you must readily accept the Father's will as I have, Jesus says, over your own. Now to unbelievers, 
That message of the cross sounds absolutely foolish. Both the idea that the Son of God would voluntarily die for sinners and the notion that saved sinners should voluntarily die to themselves for the sake of discipleship. End of Swindoll quote. The Greeks sought after wisdom. Where do we look for wisdom, for answers, for guidance in our lives? Do we go to the wisdom of the world, like philosophy, TV, the internet, Google, Alexis, right? This is not the big thing right now. Tarot cards, horoscopes, books with no biblical truth, other people's opinions. Or do we first go to the Lord in prayer, the word, and then confirmation from others of what he's already put in our hearts Mm -hmm. through the power of the spirit within us. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh Mm -hmm. and refreshment to your bones. Verse 23 in our text says, But we preach Christ crucified. As a worship leader, At heart, I have to say, that just makes me think of Jesus is the answer for the world today, right? Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. But to the Jews, Jesus was a stumbling block. Why was he a stumbling block? Was it too simple? Were there no signs or wonders? But when I look at that, it's like, there are signs and wonders. The tomb is empty. He's not dead. He is alive. So then why a stumbling block? Swindoll says, how could the Jews believe that this Jesus was their long-awaited Savior? This peasant preacher of Nazareth was a letdown in their eyes. And so they stumbled because of misguided expectations. End of Swindoll quote. To the Greeks, this is foolishness. Why? Swindoll continues, the Greeks looked for either an illustrious philosopher king or a wise seer sage who could tap into the loftiest thoughts of the realm of the mind and soul, and who would satisfy the human longing for a utopian society. Sounds kind of like our world today to me. Swindoll continues, Instead, they learned about a divine ruler who humbles himself to be born a poor Jew, grew into manhood in obscurity, and spent three years speaking parables about a kingdom characterized by altruistic virtues. In short, a heroic religious figure like Jesus, the crucified Messiah, scandalized the Greek mind. Back to our text, verse 24 and 25 says, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, is stronger than men. The ESV study Bible notes say God's power to call forth his people, however, works through a deeper wisdom than human beings can recognize unless God grants them faith. Again, my worship leader's heart sings, hallelujah, this is our God, sing praise. Verses 26 through 29 say, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 
God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing those things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We see that God uses things the world thinks is foolish to prove his wisdom. It's not the mighty, the noble, or wise by human standards that he chooses to use, but the things that the world thinks are weak. When I think of Christ coming to earth as a tiny baby, they were expecting a mighty king. They were expecting a warrior. But God sent his perfect, all-powerful son instead as a helpless, tiny baby. The king of kings and lord of lords coming from heaven's throne didn't come to a palace, but to a dirty stable. There was no pomp and circumstance for this king of kings, but there were barn animals and a lowly and lowly shepherds. The great pronouncement from the angels wasn't even given to kings and rulers, but to poor, lowly shepherds. God's wisdom, mm -hmm. foolishness, according to man. Why? Why does God do all of this? Verse 29 says, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It's all about him, his ways, not us something we all need to continually learn all through our lives. And because of him, verse 30 says, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So what does God want us to do with what we are hearing through Paul? He wants us, slash the Corinthians, to have all our confidence in the transforming power of Christ, and we have been united with Christ. Our great God has united us with Christ. We are in Christ. How many times do we see that throughout the scriptures? In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's Jesus Messiah song. Sorry, another song. Um, Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who what? Are in Christ Jesus. Sorry, that's another song. Um, Romans 3.4 says, We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is what? In Christ Jesus. I could go on, but we are so blessed that in Christ, we have, according to our text, wisdom from God. For our benefit, God made Jesus to be wisdom himself. He is our wisdom. He is our peace. The New Living Translation says, Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Righteousness. We have right standing with God. We are free from guilt. I thought of Cheryl Davidson this morning. I am free, free forever, amen. Sorry, the songs just happened for me. Sanctification, the progressive confirmation of the believer into the image of Christ. We are hopefully, as he works in us, we are becoming like Christ. And we have redemption. He has bought us back. Deliverance from the enslavement of sin to a new freedom. This new freedom is presented in scripture as always residing in Christ. Verse 31 in our text says, So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast only in the Lord. If we're going to boast, 
Who do we boast in? We boast in the Lord. The song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, says, and if you know this, sing with me. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. In chapter two, verses one through five, and I, when I came to your brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul speaks here about how he came to the people to share God's message. He didn't use lofty words, which were highly regarded then, excellence of speech to declare the testimony of God. He calls them brothers. That makes me think that he's putting himself at their mm -hmm. level mm -hmm. as brothers growing together. He could have come with impressive speech, and, and Pastor Kyle talked to this, about this on Sunday. Mm -hmm. that, you know, he was the Jew of all Jews. He was very learned. He could have come from his background, but he didn't. He didn't. He says, instead, he chose. The text says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ mm -hmm. and him crucified. He also confessed and showed his vulnerability in showing that he came in fear. He came in weakness and trembling in himself. He had no power in himself to convert or convince others. He recognized his ineptness and need of the spirit, but he still came in his weakness and in demonstration of the spirit and the spirit's power. Why? So that their faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 2 Corinthians 12 reminds us of Paul's pleading with the Lord to remove his thorn. Verses 9 and 10 say, But he said to me, Paul saying, the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So here's where the rubber met the road for me. Um, only God would orchestrate me studying this portion of scripture. And the reason I say this is that I tend to be swayed by those who have seminary training authored a book or a Bible study, etc. My tendency is to lean toward, well, they know what they're talking about. Hmm. Sounds similar to the Greek thinking, doesn't it? Elevating education and the capability to speak and write. 
God is slowly revealing to me that I have in me the most important wisdom of all, Jesus Christ. I need not be impressed by people wisdom. What I need is to only concentrate and stay laser focused on Jesus and his death on the cross. I need to trust that the Holy Spirit will alert me to be discerning when necessary. Who am I putting my trust in? Let me be clear with this, and this is important. The problem is not that I don't respect Christian authors and speakers. The problem is that I elevate them to the degree that I am reluctant to question them. I need to remember that they are human beings. The demonstration of the power of God was so clear to me at Cheston Bible Club. In my early childhood training, we learned to have an enthusiastic attention getter, lots of activities to keep children attentive and to address all learning types, etc. These do have their place and they help us to be prepared to teach our children. But when I walked into the library for story time at Cheston, I saw Linda sitting in her white rocking chair, word of God in her lap, ready to read to the children. And I have to be honest, I thought, oh boy. <laughs> I had experienced the children's rambunctious entrance into the cafeteria for snack, their crazy activity level in the gym, and their boisterous journey through the halls to get to the story time. I was not prepared for what was to come. I was about to be schooled in the demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God. And I get goosebumps just, okay. just remembering this. As Linda calmly read to the children and told them the story from the Word of God, it was like his, his presence had descended into that room. The children sat, sat, mesmerized, listening attentively to the words of life, respectfully raised their hands to ask and answer questions. And you knew the power of God was in that place, mm -hmm. that miraculous, transforming, redeeming power of God. That's how Paul spoke with the Corinthians, trusting not in himself, but in the words of the cross, the power of the spirit, applying the truth to hearts and to transform lives. This is why we, as sisters in Christ, can come to you, our sisters in Christ, and share what the truths are that God has taught us as we have studied. Because it's not us that's important, but it's the message that we have to share. This is what I learned through studying this. When we are sharing the message of the cross, we don't need brilliant ideas or persuasive presentation. God has tailor-made you and I uniquely, however unconventional or ineloquent it may seem, to share our God heart without delivering one brilliant idea. Praise God. The Spirit of God resides in and empowers each and every one of us to share. My new verse that I feel like I'm continually quoting for those of us who are in Christ is Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.